What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast that's presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I am one of your hosts. My name is Mitch Oliver, and with me, as always, I have... I'm Boozy. We have Boozy, and uh, we are welcoming our friend and artist, Cody Charleston, as our third co-host for this episode, for reasons that will become a little more obvious shortly here. But how are you doing, Cody, all the way from Melbourne, Australia? I'm doing good, Mitch. How are you guys going? This is a it's a great day for all of us. Cody, you're up early for this one, hey? Yeah, it's currently 7.30, but I've kind of been up since... Uh, about around 4 35 o'clock so yeah we if you recognize cody's voice it's because he was on uh episode 208 with us where we talked about all of the ghostbusters uh movies we talked about the video game the real ghostbusters tv series how is the future looking over there yeah what's sunday like it's um cold in the middle of winter yeah freezing but um, kind of miss summer at the moment. So it takes a little bit to get used to, but so far, so good. I have a coworker from Australia and she talks about winters there and how cold it is. And I just have no sympathy for you guys. I'm sorry, coming from Saskatchewan, <laughs> Canada. <laughs> people, people think all of Australia is really hot when it's not. Like Victoria's got the worst weather. We get like four seasons in one day. So we're super happy to have Cody joining as our third co-host today. Uh, but the focus of this episode today will be on our very special guest, This guest played a massive role in all of our gateways into the horror genre. We mentioned his work on the very first episode we ever recorded of the show, almost five years ago now. And uh, we have discussed the impact that his craft has had on us and horror fans countless times on our show. Uh, He's responsible for painting and illustrating pieces of artwork that have profoundly influenced an entire generation of young and impressionable minds, ourselves included. Simply put, his work rearranged our DNA into the horror-obsessed nutcases that we are now. He is the artist and illustrator for 60 out of 62 of the original run of R.L. Stein's seminal work, Goosebumps, and it is our great honor to welcome Tim Jacobus to the terror table. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. That's qu- it's quite an intro. I hope I can yeah. live up to this. It's you already have. You showed up. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's that's the number one rule for life you show up that's 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 90 percent. yeah exactly. we just we brought the australian guys a backup just in case and then we'll just pretend none of this was going to happen that's yeah. the worst backup ever <laughs> well tim we we couldn't be more honored to have you join us today i feel like i can speak for the three of us and most people listening and saying that uh your work was a precursor for our obsession into the horror genre and your work is instrumental in our entry into this this whole thing that we love so much. And it's clear from your work that you love and have a reverence for the imagery that you create. We just want to hear all about your journey and what led you here. So I think to get things started, could you take us back to your first memory with horror and or maybe the first imagery that caught your attention? Or I'm we should honestly ask, are you even a horror fan, really? Yeah. Like You know, it's funny. Uh like you say, here I am, uh, responsible for building the on-ramp uh, for you guys to uh, the horror highway, and I am probably the most unhorror guy that you've ever met. Um, I, 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 if I was uh, your age when Goosebumps came out, I would have been the guy who went, nah, I'll look at the covers, but 
I'm not reading what's inside there. I was also the guy who would call his mom when I went to the horror movie at the movie theater and said, yeah, you, you got to come and get me. I, I can't do this. So, uh, I, you know, your horror fans are, you know, who are watching are now just rolling over. I've, I've just killed the, I've killed the image. 100%. Oh, no. That's, but, something um, that's actually pretty common among people who work in the genre. There's a lot of people who work in the genre who don't like it. But well, it, what I, makes I, it so good? I have a theory for, for that. So I think because we're so taken by it or influenced by it, that we can identify with it when we're trying to get it down on, you know, get, creating the images and getting them down on paper. So I think, you know, we're, we're arresting those demons, you know, one at a time, getting them down on, on the board. And, you know, uh, I, I think because it, it, it's, it's a sensitive sore spot that we can, we can tap into that. Um, you got to mention with your uh, your mom coming to pick you up when you did go to horror movies. Are there any you remember from a kid that really like scared you away from everything or certain ones you can remember? Um, her art. You know, I, I mentioned this before. The one that got me the most was I was real young. I was home. This was back when there was only three channels on the TV. And um they were rerunning the old black and white uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame. And it just, there was something about that because the uh, first, the black and white always to me represented almost like a documentary. So there was more realism to it to me than even if it was in full color. Secondly, you had that, odd relationship with the hunchback character you you sympathized with them but you were scared to death of them and it made a it made a real impression on me and one of those ones where in the middle of the night i was bumbling around my room and my father had to come in and go all right what's going on and i had a replay that i sat and watched it on the tv and uh you know it was really bugging me so that's one that stands out as a as one that I still remember. Uh, but then as I got older, you know, the, the one that stands out and only because it was so different and the acting was so unbelievable. And again, I'm not going to be pulling one out of, you know, out of the, uh, the rarities, but the shining that just, you know, it was such a, it was just not what I expected when I got there. And that, you know, that was more psychological, uh, of a thriller, you know, less of a, less of a horror genre. And, uh, but the, the twists and turns, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a big Pink Floyd fan and it's that theme of most of the horror that goes on is in between your two ears. That's where the real damage is. And that's where most of the horror goes on. There are bad things that happen in the world, but that's the one that fascinates me the most is, you know, being the, being attacked from the inside. Okay. That, that's actually a, like a wild answer. I love that. Um, I was going to ask, since you mentioned having three channels growing up, like we had that and it was called <laughs> farmer vision. And like one of the channels was in French and I know you grew up in New <laughs> Jersey, right? So what, what, yeah. what was your equivalent of that? Um, now, so you had, uh, you had basically two, four and seven. And they were all uh, they were all network channels. Um, 
you could get, we didn't have any, a, a farmer channel. Um, then another channel would come on, but it was only on once in a while. That was channel 13. And that was more of the, you know, the, the member supported TV, you know, where that's where, uh, that's where Sesame street would be. And uh, so the good stuff know, was once in a while. Right. And, you know, and then you'd see the opera there and, you know, nothing you wanted to watch as a kid. Considering only having three channels, what struck you as a kid to make you want to become an artist and do it as a career? Well, you know, the going back, the three channels on the TV, no social media, no computers, no uh, videos, no color TV until I was probably 12, um, you were like, there was no distractions. You had to make your own uh, entertainment. So drawing was just something that, you know, I enjoyed doing. My father could draw and I assumed everybody could draw because, you know, it was just, it was part of what went on at the house. Um, And he didn't draw uh, professionally or as a hobby, he drew kind of as a matter of fact, we'd be sitting at the dinner table. He goes, Oh, I'm going to build a deck on the back of the house and it's going to look like this. And he would flip over the napkin and he would draw something in perfect perspective. And uh, so I always thought of it as a tool for conveying, you know, conveying thoughts. Uh, the other thing that was great was my best friend who lived right next door, loved to draw too. And we used, that was part of our day. Yeah, we'd go, you know, play sports, play football, ride our bikes, go swimming. But then we'd also, you know, when we felt like it, we would sit down and we would draw together. And as the years went on, we continued to do it together. We ended up going to art school together and he's still in the art business. He went one way, I went the other way. He, he uh, produces TV commercials and uh, I, I went into illustration. So we had... Like it was a, it was just a common denominator in something that we did on a regular basis. Again, more about no distractions or trying to make your own entertainment than, you know, if I grew up today, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if I would have started chipping away at those magical 10,000 hours that you have to get in to get better at something. Completely understand with, um, with being friends with someone and then differing into like sort of different career ventures. For example, I got into tattooing when one of my friends got into building and design. So I completely agree with uh, where you come from there. So obviously you got into to the art field because it's something I like to ask other artists. If the art didn't pan out, where do you think you would have gone? Oh, probably a job I would have hated. <laughs> 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 probably a trade <laughs> yeah well i think i also think a trade but i don't know if i would have hated it you know i i think I, I would have worked with my hands you know i hope i would have been you know like a, a super fine cabinet maker or something like that where you know got paid well loved doing it but i i think working the continuation of the idea of working with uh our hands i think is something that you know i, I could never see myself selling insurance or something like that just yeah. don't ever choose plumbing 
I can tell you that from, a, from personal experience. I was going to say, if you can't build a cabinet, you can sure draw the hell out of one. That's right. I, I, I know I could. I know I could tell the, the cabinet maker what I want and yeah. give him a pretty good representation. Considering with work stuff, um, when you did it, do a Goosebumps cover, were you working a regular nine to five job or was it just the hours just changed uh, compared to the deadline? Early on in my illustration career, there was a, you know, there was multiple steps where you're trying to break in, you know, I got lucky and, and, and got my first cover, but that was it. You got one cover and then you have to try to look for more. So I had a full-time job and I was doing the, the art on the side. Then I started to give it a little bit more consistency. So I went to a part-time job and did my art on the the other half of things. By the time I got to doing Goosebumps, illustration was my full-time thing. I was I didn't have to hold down a second. Well, my ex-wife worked as a bartender at a comedy club and she was there Saturday and uh, Fridays and Saturdays. After a while, I used to go, I mean, I pick her up every Friday and Saturday and then I started hanging out there cuz comedy clubs are fun. And uh, I ended up getting a job there being uh, the, the cedar. So uh, I was just doing that for fun. But yeah, I did that while I was uh, doing full-time uh, illustration. So I did have the luxury of when it was time to do a Goosebumps cover, it was all in. What were the other jobs that you were doing around that time for illustration-wise? When I got <laughs> I ignorantly, when I got out of uh, art school just said, I'm not doing anything else other than book covers. I live in New Jersey. I'm only about, I'm less than an hour outside of Manhattan. And I thought, you know, I don't need to do all these other steps that everybody's going to do. I'm just going to skip all this shit and go right to it. And, you know, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I probably would have taken a little, you know, a little bit more deferred path. But I took it on the chin, but it also, you know, just kept me going. Uh, the very first book cover I did was for a company called Daw Books, D-A-W, uh, stood for Donald A. Walheim. And uh, Donald was one of the, you know, pioneers of the science fiction uh, genre. I'm pretty sure he was a writer as well, but he ran his own publishing company. He was old by the time I got there. I mean, this man was in his 80s. He was not, I don't want to say he wasn't nice. He was, he was just a gruff old man and he didn't, you know, hold back on, you know, how he felt, but it was, you know, it was easy. You, you knew if he liked something, you knew if he didn't like something. That was my first, my first cover. I ended up doing two or three with him. It was great, you know, and he was very, he wasn't controlling, you know, you just turned in your stuff. He took, a, you know, you, you submitted sketches. He said he liked something. You turned it in. He'd say, yep, that's good. I like it. He didn't mess around with, oh, go take that back and redo this. And it, that's not how he ran his company. And that's not how most of the book business is done. Usually the book business, especially now, it's very committee oriented. So you're, you're making changes to almost everything you do. Has that, I guess that's kind of a loaded question for you, but like how has the book industry changed a lot in that way with social media coming in and everything? Obviously, well, that uh, yeah, it's, like... I, I don't like sounding like the, you know, okay, okay, kids gather around. I'm going <laughs> to tell you the grandpa stories, but it's, it's 
there's nothing, nothing about the book business is how it was when I started. So when I get, you know, young people coming up and going, oh, tell me how you got started. It's like, well, it doesn't apply anymore. You know, I could give you those basic things like, you know, work hard and, you know, follow up on your phone calls and look people in the, but that's the only stuff that applies. No social media, no digital art. Everything is tangible. Everything is traditional. So to show your work, you had to put it all in a portfolio case, carry it into the city, knock on doors and present it to somebody. And then, you know, that or they had drop off days where your portfolio and 40 other portfolios just like yours, big giant things sitting in the hallway and then somebody would review them and they would leave a note and you'd pick it up and move it to the next publisher. So it was all hands-on, all clunky. All you feel like a, a vacuum salesman? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, there I am saying I didn't want to sell insurance. And kinda, <laughs> I kind of was. We used to have a routine where I was still working, you know, had a full-time job and me and my ex-wife would get up and we would, so it's Monday. And Monday drop-offs were at, I'm, I'm making this up, but say they were at, you know, you know um, it's at Scholastic. So we would drive in early, early in the morning and drop the portfolio off at Scholastic and then drive home, go to work, go do whatever we're doing for the day. On Tuesday, we'd get up, we'd drive back to the city, pick up the portfolio at Scholastic and move it over to Daw Books and drop it off. And then get back in the car and drive home. And you would cycle them around till Thursday. And then Thursday, you'd just pick it up and go home with it. We did that routine a number of times. Lots of lots of time wasted in the car, lots of walking around, a lot of again, very clunky. The other side of it was I was in the game because I lived close enough to New York City. Now, there could have been, and there was, I'm sure, the greatest artist in the world who lived in Pittsburgh, but he can't get his ass in on a regular basis to show those, those publishers what, you know, what they want to see. So my physic, being physically located close to the city was a, a big factor in me being able to break into the business. So now that shit doesn't happen anymore. You know, sure. you, I could send my stuff to Australia and easily get somebody to look at it and do work and send the digital files across to with somebody who's new, who's starting, they have a whole new set of problems. So the new set of problems, part of, well, one's not a problem. One is you can get your stuff out to almost anybody that you can get an address for, but so can anybody else. So where I was dealing with maybe, I, I, I think if I said there was a couple hundred artists back then, you know, trying to look for work on a consistent, regular basis, I, it may have been that few. And while now I, I can't even imagine the onslaught of work that comes in to an art director's office on a regular basis from incredibly talented people from, from all over. So Different, different game. 
Yeah, the the digital art game has seemed to be something that's obviously it's the future. It's what we're in now, and it, it makes the demand and everyone trying to vie for these same jobs. There's just always so many options. But obviously, whatever you did, you ended up landing with Scholastic. So could you tell us what that was like going from working with DAW to uh, Scholastic and doing these Goosebumps covers? Obviously, I can't imagine they would have known how huge of a cultural phenomenon Goosebumps would be. Oh, no, no. So um, I had worked with Scholastic for a couple of years and I had done mostly stuff in their uh, young adult area. And they were mostly fantasy oriented, science fiction oriented. I was doing weirder stuff, but they always had, uh, you know, you had the, the professional kids that you could hire to pose for you. And always whoever was the main character in the book, you tried to put somebody on the cover that looked just like that character. Very traditional looking kind of a formula for typical book covers back then. But no series work, just one-offs. And I got a number of covers from them. I couldn't tell you how many I had by the time Goosebumps came along. I had proved myself to be responsible, you know, uh, always there when the phone rang, got my work done on time. Uh, my work was consistent, you know, so, you know, it wasn't like, here's a really good one. And here's one that looks a little sloppy or, oh, it's kind of late. So when Goosebumps came along, you're right. Not only did they not know that it was going to be this really giant thing, they all, I was told uh, R.L. Stein wasn't thrilled when it came along. And most of the people in there thought it was going to be a clunk you know, that it, it wasn't going to work because nobody had done horror for that age group yet. And there was literally no boy market. No boys were reading scholastic books in the 90s that were from that age group. They didn't start to come in until they got a little bit older. So I have a memory. Now, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing and it wasn't quite presented to me exactly this way. But they said, listen, we've got this new series. We'd like you to, to do one of the covers uh, here at the beginning. We don't think it's going to go anywhere. So if you would do this cover, we're not going to pay you the full price. We're, you know, we'd like to knock a couple of hundred dollars off. Um, and, but we promise you that, you know, if, you know, you take care of this, that will put you on something good. So the idea that Goosebumps wasn't something good was spelled out right there at the beginning. So I, I saw what it was, and I liked the idea that it was different. You know, that it wasn't, let's put the two main characters on the cover. It was, it was wild. You know, got to do, you know, everything was character-oriented and creature-oriented. And I was like, ah, oh, this will be fun. So, okay, I'll do one. And... Let's see what happens. I did book number one, Welcome to Dead House, which is, by the way, 30th anniversary this year. I did it in 91. It came out in 92. Another artist named Jim Thiessen did Stay Out of the Basement. Now, Jim was a more traditional horror guy, and they weren't sure if it was going to be me or him. But it wasn't like, oh, there's this, you know, there's going to be these hundreds of books that are going to follow. It was like, yeah, there might be two more books that follow. The big fear was that the books would be too scary. And the dip, the real difference between my work and Jim's work was I was using all those saturated colors. 
And everybody saw that and went, oh, yeah, yeah, that that definitely is less scary. And Jim had more and still, you know, he he's a super artist and his stuff was had a more realistic flair to it where mine, you know, you know, for a lack of better term, you know, has a, a you know, a cartoonish edge to it. You know, it's not ultra realistic. So it was those, uh, especially the colors that made them go, all right, yeah, let's, let's go with, let's go with Jacobus. I really wasn't sure what the whole idea behind Goosebumps was because Welcome to Dead House was more of a traditional horror story. It wasn't until I got to Say Cheese and Die where all of a sudden I went, oh, oh, I, I now I get it. You know, we're having fun here. It's a little more and, tongue in cheek. Yeah. And there's a, com- yeah, right. There's a comic element to this. And, oh, this is now, now I get it. And once that hit, then I was like, all right, I, you know, I'm on board. We, we just started to do them. And they weren't selling well at the beginning. There was talk behind the scenes about killing the series. And this was early on. So, you know, maybe six months in, seven months in, the books weren't selling. Just before they said, all right, let's not do these anymore. You guys, again, no social media, no no anything. We're just literally talking to one another going, you should check these out. Take a look at this. This is cool. Or Scholastic Book Fair. And yeah, right. And the, they're, they're being pumped. We were time. mainlining them into the well, schools. <laughs> as as people who all like, I, I'm not sure, Cody. I don't even know if we talked about this. If you experienced this, but in Canada here, it was always like the Scholastic Huge. Book Fair. It just right away, goosebumps is all I think of. And it's because we'd go in there, and everyone. It was that was like my first phenomenon that I felt I ever lived through where like Pokemon came out afterwards where kids were just obsessive, but it was like, we'd run to the goosebumps section and would look at the covers, but most people would be too scared to actually read the books. But then there were people like, you know, me who like, I got into reading because of those books and it was the covers that pulled me into it. And now I'm like, I'm a writer. I love, I just, it's what I love about the, the art form, but yeah, the scholastic book fair is just, it's yeah, And that was something the the book fair was something that was, Kind of new. So, uh, Cody, did you guys have the the book fair? So we did have the Scholastic Book Fair, but I went to school, I started school around the early 2000s, and that was at the time where Goosebumps had sort of started to slow down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, you're Um, younger than us. So I discovered Goosebumps having uh, three older brothers who loved them because they were all early 90s kids. But um, the way I found all new Goosebumps books were through op shops like secondhand oh, okay. bookstores and yeah, yeah. yeah that's my safe haven but i did have the scholastic book fair and but the book fair that. was a unique because you guys didn't have to go anywhere we pumped the books into you and yeah. and you were getting out of your math class or your we had like a whole class. day dedicated to it yeah it was the best right. it was always the best go down and your moms and dads used to give you some money and you could buy a calendar and a you know some some crazy thing and a couple of books and what parent isn't going to give their kid some money for books? So uh, that was a that was a huge thing in getting uh, getting the goosebump stuff in front of you guys. But then um, around book nine or so, it, it just took off and it took off like a rocket. You guys were gobbling them up, and that also worked for me uh, as an artist because once it started to go to their credit. Everybody at Scholastic said, all right, don't mess with this. 
this is working. So however Tim's been doing it, don't add or subtract from what he's doing. You know, nobody jumped in there and tried to make it better or, you know, I did, there wasn't more people all of a sudden. They just let us do the thing. The other thing that helped uh, from an artistic point of view was we were cranking those out. RL's writing, you know, the books are coming out once a month, no matter what. And, you know, I have to make a cover. I have the easy job. You know, RL's got to crank out a whole book. That also kept people from messing with anything. It was like, okay, it's done. It's done on time. Looks good. We're putting that in production. Start the next one because we got to stay on top of this. And then there would be like, all right, this month, you know, we're doing a calendar. So you got to do two this month. So get started on the calendar and then you can stop that while you jump back to the, the covers. So again, people weren't getting nitpicky on uh, any of the stuff that I was doing, which again, that was just, you know, that was a godsend. You had mentioned this uh, before when you were talking about it, but I know Cody also wants to get to some stuff that's more intricate to actually art because I don't know a ton about that. But I was just going to ask, have you ever had any, uh, with Goosebumps, any of your covers rejected for being like too scary? I always remember as a kid, like Vampire Breath was really terrifying for me. <laughs> uh, funny story. So Vampire's Breath, I had to do, uh, I was working on another cover for another publisher. And like I, I said earlier, they used to give you, uh, give us a budget to hire professional actors, you know, young actors and actresses to be, you know, pose for our book covers. We used to all go and use this same photographer. Her name was Addie Passon. She was an older woman. You know, she was, you know, she could have been my grandmother at the time very accomplished woman, you know, had a, a great history, but also had good assistance. She had an assistant there named Michael, and Michael was from uh, from the UK. He hadn't been with her very long, but he was, you know, again, he was running everything at that point. And so we shot kids in the morning, we got done. And, you know, we were talking about goosebumps. I said, uh, hey, Michael, you know, like, He's real tall, real lean, you know, real angular looking guy. I said, uh, yeah, come on, let's flip the camera out. I get behind the camera. I want you to, you know, do, the, you know, and I told him how I wanted him to pose. And so, yeah, it's a, it, it's Michael, the photographer that used to take pictures of the, the kids for me. And he got on the, uh, he got on the goosebumps. Go. That's got to be a great story for him. That's he's like, got to tell everybody <laughs> about that. That's <laughs> I only had one Goosebumps cover where they said, where they actually, you know, again, these are traditional art paintings. So I would Federal Express them in. And there was only one that made the return trip back to my studio. That was uh, Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. Because in the original, he was picking his nose. You know, now when you look at the cover, he's scratching his head. Everybody loved it when I turned it in. And, you know, they're like, oh, that's hilarious. We love it. Let's go. Let's go. And then somebody somewhere, you know, higher up, because we were going directly into the schools, got a little, you know, got a little cold feet and said, yeah, let's let's not send something in where the kid's picking his nose. That was it. Move a finger. Move the finger out of his nose and to the side of his head. And that's that's the biggest change I had to do. But never like I knew the rules. So, yeah, nobody's. There's no, you know, no red blood. 
nobody, you know, no kid is hurt. No, you know, like we're not doing anything really horrible, nor were, you know, like the books just weren't set up that way. Yeah. The books kind of reflect that they always had yeah. kind of a tongue in cheek or you yeah. know, nice ending. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but I remember getting one copy of a goose. It was one that had slime on the cover and it came with like a little vial of slime. <laughs> and I remember just being like so over the moon about that. As a kid. Yeah, there was uh, after a while, there wasn't anything that we didn't try to throw that Goosebumps logo on and send your guys way. I know there were uh, glow in the dark boxer shorts for a while. Yes. Oh, yeah, I gotta check eBay, I gotta see if they still. I got a chance to make the uh, the giant curly display, you know, that I painted actual size so that they could put the uh, put the underwear on them and and set it up at the store. So, I got a I got to pull up. Uh, I have like my mom, like we have our family has photo albums of all of us as kids and whatnot. Like everyone does. One of my like favorite pictures of me as a child is I was wearing a glow in the dark goosebumps hat. <laughs> and uh it was yeah like it, it was a life changing for me yeah, so. like you say anything that glow in the dark that was a that was a home oh, run yeah. every time yeah <laughs> tim going back to the traditional side of art stuff i've read a few interviews that you used to jump between illustration board and also painting on masonite wood uh, yes. Do you have a preferred painting surface that you like to paint on at all, or do you kind of just mix between the two? When I was doing the Goosebumps covers, they were always the uh, the Bainbridge number 80 illustration board. I just, it was a consistent surface that I really liked, and I didn't have to do anything to it. I just, you know, right out of the, the package, I didn't gesso it. I didn't do anything other than put that first coat of acrylic paint on it. When you're dealing with masonite, you got to gesso that board. Then I'm usually sanding it to get the texture right and too much work. So, I, you know, I, I use that when I'm doing, I'll do it. I, I like using it now when I'm doing a fine art piece for, you know, for somebody who's just going to hang it on their wall. And then, you know, I have time for it and I can get this surface exactly the way I want it. So really out of just the necessity to go fast, I would say 95% of my book covers were that number 80 illustration board, which has got a little tooth to it. Yeah, I actually, I remember downloading all the high-res covers um, when I was sort of studying art. And if I zoomed right in, you could see the actual fabric and tooth of the gesso board. Yeah, yeah. And but how do you get your gradients so smooth with like the backgrounds? Is it all airbrush, or do you just sit there with the normal paintbrush and just? No, no. I, I used. I did use an airbrush. I would say it was 80 percent uh, just niggling with the brush and and making it happen with the sable brush. But the uh, airbrush is what I'm using for the gradients. You know, I'll blow in a background, get the gradient in there real nice. And then because I was working with acrylics, I would paint the whole background in, put the gradient in, and then I would transfer more of the, the painting onto the board. So if there was a, a mountain range next, I would just then apply the mountain range, paint the mountains, and then take then bring my drawing back again, lay it over top and transfer down, uh, you know, the main character, the wolf, whatever it's going to be in the painting and put that over top. So I was constantly building up layers uh, on the, on the illustration board. It wasn't like I transferred the whole thing down and painted around things. Yeah. Wow. See that, that blows my mind. I can't, I can't 
paint layer by layer, especially acrylic. Um, I've tried acrylic. I just can't do it. It dries way too quick for me. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. The, so I, I, I am the most unlikely guy to be doing this. So even when I was a little kid, my hands shake. I got terrible. My hands are not steady at all. So when I work, I like to have my hand down on the surface that I'm working on. Anything else that I used in art school, watercolor, oil paint, any of that stuff, as soon as you put your hand in it, either it's ruined or it's on your hand. So the acrylic was, you know, it would dry nice and fast, and then I could lay my hand down on it. And the other thing I liked about it is any color can cover any color in acrylic. You know, you make a mistake, you might have to put white on first and block it out, but you can get that other color over top where almost anything else once you there was a point of no return uh watercolor being the most unforgiving like you could only get so much down and then you got to live with that where the acrylic uh, i could spill i could you know i could mess something up and i could sand it and i could patch it and i could spray over you know like there was always i could always save it there was never a piece of art that was uh destroyed uh i actually if you think it dries too fast, normally I painted with a hair dryer in my left hand so that I would paint and I'd hit it with the hair dryer so it would dry and then I could go in again and I would hit it with the hair dryer. So um, yeah, and I liked it. I liked it dry. I liked that whole thing about it, that it dried fast. And it was something that I took on early, you know, before I actually really knew what I was doing. You know, I, I picked up this technique while I was in art school. So from the time I was 17, I just started making this thing work. Yeah, acrylics is one of those things where you you, you got to get into it early and, and you figure out how to make it work for you after, you know, it just takes a little longer. You know, oil painting's nice. Oil painting's great. You know, like you can go back and smooth that edge, you know, four days from now, you can go back to a couple of year old piece and smooth that edge. So what do you work at? Basically my process is a little bit different towards a few traditional artists. What I do, I kind of paint in this way a drawing would happen. So I'll paint, if I'm doing a portrait, I'll start with an eye and I'll completely finish that eye. And then I'll go off to the other eye and I'll completely finish that eye. And then I'll go to the nose, mouth and, go from there instead of painting it layer by layer. I've tried layer, like painting by layers, but I feel like it makes me too scatterbrained. I don't know, it's just the way I work is a little different, but I tip my hat to people who paint with layers though, especially with acrylic. Wow. So do you, do you work, uh, do you work up your, your, is there a sketch beforehand so that you have it all laid out and you transfer it down and then do that? Or are you just going, here's eyeball and I'm finishing it. And then here's another eyeball. Cause if you can do that, you, that's a, that blows my mind. That, that almost seems impossible. I'll see some photos and some progress stuff, but I do not use a drawing at all wow. or a reference. I wow. usually just do dot points to get the proportions right. Okay. All right. So there so is some, say if, yeah. Yeah. Say if like I'll start with, I want to get like, say it's, a, it's like a normal portrait sort of with like the shoulder up. I will do like the dots where the, where the, uh, 
the eyes, nose, and like ears go. So it'll be right. like the dots, sort of horizontal, sure. and then that's all I just go off. Wow. Wow. I wanna I wanna add a little quick fun fact here though, Tim, is uh so we are from Canada, Cody's in Australia. The way that we became friends with Cody uh, was we did an episode on some Goosebumps, uh, just a Goosebumps topic discussion. And, <laughs> I think we covered uh, some of the episodes of the TV series. Yeah, but then Boozy found this oil painter on on Instagram and he was doing the Haunted Mask cover and he was doing a various uh, Goosebumps covers with like uh, and painting them. And that led us to Cody's Instagram account, and we become like really good friends ever oh, since. Oh, very yeah. cool! Yeah, oh, that's yeah. great. And now Cody's uh, like, I know you you're the type of guy who will never give yourself a pat on the back, Cody. But Cody's now a tattoo artist who's putting the covers of Goosebumps on people for the oh, rest wow. of their lives. <laughs> oh, very cool! Very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's weird. It's very surreal that I I'm tattooing covers on people now, and from someone who's been it's, so it's years, weirder for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, it's like you know, people can look at my work and say, "Oh, well, you do realism, and it's a bit of a different style to sort of your pop surrealism." But if you put my portraits next to, let's say, Girl Cried Monster or Piano Lessons Can Be Murder, and you look at those skin tones, I've still got the same skin tones that you have with your yeah. work. Mine's only just converted to realism. So I can, I still have those purples and pinks and oranges. Yeah. That, you know. So yeah, the, the filling in the, the shadow sides, you know, like that's, that's kind of, that was something that, you know, I learned in school, but I really like leaned into where, so, you know, like you say, you got skin tones going and then you get into the shadows. Most people just make them dark. And it's when you start to add those other colors, maybe blues, maybe purples in the shadow side, that's where they're the, the most vibrant and effective because people are just used to seeing it go dark or go black. Yeah. And with the painting side of things too, did you just use basic Liquitex for your acrylics? Yeah. 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 Nothing. That's awesome. I still get all my brushes from like the cheapest places ever and I still work in treat. Oh, I see. Uh, there was a there's a art school that's uh, somewhat close to here. Uh, it's called the Joe Kubert Art School, and it's a, a comic book school. And any comic book artist is now, you know, that you know they're going out of their mind because it's one of the best comic book schools uh, there is. But they have a nice little art shop. Yeah, I, I I spent some money on brushes. I was using some pretty good sable brushes, and they would only. I could only get through one painting and they would be beat up pretty well. You know, so uh, new, new brush, new job. I normally just buy like a whole bunch of cheap ones and they sort of yeah. seem to do the trick to like what the, you know, expensive ones do over with my time of painting. I've got some, I don't know if America, you guys have a brand called Monty Mart. I don't know that one now. But they're like a really cheap sort of Home Depot brand. And I've got brushes of them for nearly eight years ago that still work a trade for blender brushes. Like, it's just crazy, you know, compared. And I really well, like you, that you... I get that because you get comfortable with a brush. And, yeah. you know, see, the, the problem with the... Here's here's what would happen to the Sable brushes. So for anybody who's listened, Sable is is fox hair. And there's uh, there's a natural oil in the hair itself when you get it. It's an amazing... It's an amazing, you know, I don't know how they make them. 
it's just a, a beautiful brush. So if you're, I, when I'm working with acrylics, you got to make sure that you don't get any paint up in the, where the, the, the bristles of the brush meet the, the top, because that's when it starts to destroy the brush. And what ends up happening is I used to use lacquer thinner as a, you know, uh, an acrylic dissolver. You know, I would stick my airbrush in there because it was the only thing that once acrylic dries, it's plastic and it's solid plastic. So the acrylic lacquer thinner would break it down and turn it, you know, into something that was, you could wipe off. And eventually with my, uh, my sable brushes, they'd end up in the lacquer thinner because they would get too much paint on them. And once the lacquer thinner got on those brushes, all the natural oil that was in the, the fibers and the, the sable itself would dry out. And then the brush would kind of lose all its, you know, all those really good qualities. So I could, I, I couldn't get them to last for more than a, a single paint. I try and avoid the very top of the brush, especially considering I'm painting and like breaking down oil with turpentine, which is like right. sort of paint thinner. Yeah. The fumes yep. are just ridiculous. So oh, yeah. let alone. Yeah. Uh, the- yeah. Lacquer thinner is even worse. So yeah, I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure somewhere, I'm sure that's where all my hair went. Oh, same here. <laughs> I was going to say, we have the same haircut. <laughs> yeah, who's your guys' barber? That's it. That's, that's the one thing about this hairstyle. You can, you can self-inflict. Yeah. Never have to pay for a haircut again. And it uh, never goes out of style. Uh, what size do you usually work? So I've just jumped up to, with dimensions, 50 to 72 centimeter. Okay. Um, normally, I was really shy with, going anything bigger than a three but um i've just started going a little bit bigger so i don't think i want to get any bigger than this and do like a mural but my i think i feel like my sweet tooth for dimensions is that 25 to 35 centimeter sort of range but you painted the goosebump books 20 by 20 inch is that correct yeah it's correct so um again going back to that uh, 80 illustration board basically if you cut it in half you would end up they were 30 by 40 so you cut it in half. I got a 20 by 30. And if I was doing a traditional, you know, a, a normal book cover is, you know, that uh, four by seven proportion. So I would leave that 30 inches and then they were 20, 30. But goosebumps, we were doing square. So I cut that 10 inches off. So, yeah, they were 20 by 20. I got it just again. It was economy of 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 product, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to cut extra. I cut it in half and take the top off of it and now we're ready to go. Yeah. I haven't tried sizing down canvases. I tried framing a canvas once by taking it out of the actual canvas frame because yeah. I'm um, all canvas fabric. Yeah. And um, I end up screwing up the whole painting and had to get. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's we used to. Th- so it was cool when I went to art school because they made us do all kinds of stuff like that. We had to stretch our own canvases and, well, you know, you got used to doing things, but that, that stuff was a nightmare, you know, they're stretching canvases. And once you, once they're there, you got to leave them there because they can, they can become a mess real fast and you never quite get them back again. I have recently been trying to work bigger because I got so used to doing that 2030 or just the 20 by 20 and doing all the same thing. So I've been doing some black and white pieces and uh, I have one that hangs up in my living room. That's uh, two feet by seven feet. So 
I kind of gave myself an odd size to work with and worked as big as I could. And uh, that's nice because, you know, I like the idea of standing while I'm working and walking up to it and walking back and, uh, you know, bigger brush strokes instead of, you know, that hunched over, you know, getting, you know, getting into all the very minor details. This way, you're kind of doing a, a much broader piece. And it was a nice change. That was the one thing I'm str- I struggled with with doing uh, bigger dimensions was the walking back and walking forward and standing. And so normally you sit hunched down. Artists. Yeah, yeah. So right. That well, was the struggle. Yeah. But um, no, that's awesome. It's fun. Um, yeah. It's, you know, again, you, 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 I'm sure if I, I did that for a really long period of time, meaning I did, you know, two years worth of paintings all in a row, I'd probably be going, hey, I can't wait to sit down again. So I, again, it was just that, it was just the break of the, the normal or the, the typical routine, just get out of my, you know, get out of my own head, get out of my own way and, and do something a little bit different. Working with black and white, as opposed to all the carnival of colors that uh, I used on Goosebumps was, uh, was nice. If someone was to learn how to paint in acrylics, but really sort of didn't know where to start, what advice would you give them? Well, you, you threw me a curveball with the way you work, because I'm, I'm going to tell them to do everything that you said you don't like doing. <laughs> so, That's absolutely fine. <laughs> I would say, well, to start off, work smaller, you know, don't, don't, don't bite absolutely. off, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's no need to do anything huge, you know, get a, a smaller canvas, eight by 10 is fine, something small, uh, and just get used to the, uh, you know, how the colors work. Um, if, uh, you're, you're like, if you have a background in watercolor and oil and you're used to, you know, you can slow down the drying time uh, of acrylics by using some of their, the, the, the mediums and gesso, not gesso, um, I can't remember, but there are some stuff that help it, that slow it down a little. Get used to, you know, working edges and, and, and think of it more like, uh, you know, doing layers and thin it out and use it maybe more like watercolor at first and then build up on top of that and then go opaque as you start to, to, to get everything laid into place. See, when I, the way I learned to paint was exactly the opposite from the way you work, where you're trying to get everything, you know, just kind of blocked in and keep, you know, stay loose at the beginning and then begin to tighten it up as you, as you move closer to finish. The idea to when, when our teachers were teaching us this was be able to leave some, like if you run out of time, you can leave some things looser that are unimportant that may be, you know, over here in the corner, but you can tighten everything up in here and get that job done. Whereas if you've committed to, you know, everything's tight, then you, you, you backed yourself into the corner. It's probably a lot like, you know, like, if you teach yourself to play the guitar, you're lefty and you string the guitar for the left hand. And that's how you taught yourself. And that's how you know how to do it. You can't then go to somebody else and go, all right, well, I play lefty. Show me, you know, like now make this work for me. It's like, well, whatever you're comfortable with. And, uh, you know, you have your way of working. And if that's how you're comfortable, don't ever stop. You know, don't, if no matter what anybody tells you, don't ever change the way you do it. You know, I had some teachers that told me that I was too tight. 
that I should loosen up, loosen up. You're, you're too tight. You're too tight. You're too tight. And I, I was always like, yeah, but that's what I like. And yeah, if it ain't you know, broke, don't fix it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then you just go, well, I'm going to do what I like because that's what this is all about is, you know, making sure at least and the finished product, like I could reel it in. So if I was doing an assignment for that teacher and they said, please leave it loose, I could leave it loose on that assignment and turn it in and be done with it. But if I was doing something for myself or what I was considering my style, I'm going back to making it tight again. And uh, so, yeah, just do with any creative thing, do what makes you the happiest, do what you like to do, do what you do best. Don't listen to anybody else just because this, you have to, Enjoy what you're doing and please yourself first, because if you don't do that, then you're never going to please anybody else with it or and you're going to be miserable. So, you know, reel it back in and do what what works best for you. I believe that if you're passionate about something, you're going to excel a lot quicker compared to like some if you say if you're doing something you're sort of half interested in doing. Yeah. So I absolutely agree with that. And I just started going down that sort of side of teaching people with like one-on-one clients with oil painting. And I always say start small because you don't want to, that was my problem. So I basically made every mistake a oil, a beginning oil painter did. Uh, so I know not like what not to do. And I think going big first is just going to, yeah, as you said, corner yourself and. Yeah. Cause know, now you've yeah. committed yourself to this big thing. And if it doesn't work out, you've, you've put in so much time on something big and there's a lot more opportunity to like, you could have a nice little section that's working great and then blow it over here. So like you say, stick, you know, stick small at the beginning, get comfortable, um, you know, and rip through them. And you can always listen. I, I have some really small paintings that I did that were just uh, color cops that I went back to and tightened them up and, they look real nice hanging on the wall too. I always get them to start with painting a ball and then have like the light source hit the ball and the yeah, yeah. part of it. And, and everyone goes, oh, that's ridiculous. And it's like, well, you learn like 80 things. Like you learn light sources, color, time, yeah. mixing, everything with just this little ball. And it's the best thing to do. But yeah, this looks so silly from yeah, someone we, who doesn't paint. You know, we did that at art school. We had the, the, the cone, the block and the ball. Yeah. And it sat on the, the black tablecloth and they would wheel it in the room. And yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, now draw that. I have a couple uh, quick questions for you that don't directly go towards the art style. So I'm going to pull you away for a sec here. So I know way back you had done a cover for a Star Trek game. Yeah. And I also know that you recently did a cover art for, and they, they kind of sound like an 80s band to me, like Ravage. I don't know a ton about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, they're 90s band. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious, like, are there ev- any other, like, I know a lot of people would kill to work on Star Trek anything. Is there any other, like, genres or musicians even that you'd love to do artwork for? Maybe uh, I'm Pink Floyd, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, that would obviously, but well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we've lost, we've lost yeah. too many members of that. And you know, the the also the band. So there was a an illustrator named Roger Dean who did all the covers for a band, for the band. Yes, I actually looked uh, that up. I read one of your yeah, definitely about... look it up. Yeah. So with his artwork, Roger Dean's was what got me thinking differently about my artwork. So. Mm-hmm. 
up until then, you know, it was very traditional, you know, uh, draw what you can see, you know, and try to copy what you could see, whether it was from photographs or the real life or whatever. Roger Dean's artwork is not real. It's stuff that he- It's very fantastical. Uh, I was checking, yeah. Right. And it made me go, oh yeah, that's better. Like then it was like, okay, put something real in with something that's not real. And now- I'm getting things to work. Doing a cover for uh, the band, yes, that would be that would be a, that'd be a home run. Okay, but uh, yeah, you know, it's fun to do pieces like that because it, it, it's good exposure. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, like you say, I've been lucky to do. Uh, you know, again, it's it's funny that uh, I did some albums early on in my career, then. Everything went to CD and album covers were kind of, they got, they got done, but not very often. And they were pretty low budget. And now vinyl's a big thing again. And I'm getting, I get more album cover requests now than I do book cover requests. That's actually really cool. Have you? Oh, it's uh, absolutely. I love it. I love it. You found any new favorite bands that way? Well, I, you know, What's cool is I, I yeah a couple of you know so you guys are all of an age and now you you grew up on goosebumps but you're doing your own thing now you're grown up you're yep. men and a lot of you are in bands a lot of you are writing your own books a lot of you are art directors at ski companies and every email starts the same way hi Tim I was a big goosebumps fan. I got this project. Do you want to be part of it? So, you know, you guys are my new, uh, my new employers. It's awesome. This is kind of an interesting question. I know you have an art book that came out in the late nineties that was called a day in the life or I think it was called like, it came from New Jersey. Yeah, that's correct. And I know you're from New Jersey. Like, is that a big part of like, you always got to rep New Jersey. And my other question with that is, are you a <laughs> devil's fan? Uh, so Two parts to that. There was a there was a book that was called It Came from Ohio first, and that was R.L. Stein's autobiography. And it did pretty well. And we reached out to Scholastic because this is when you know we're we're doing glow in the dark underwear. So it was like, hey, how about you know we do a, you know a book called uh, It Came from New Jersey, and we you know because I was doing this program at uh, uh at schools where i'd go and talk to to you know middle school kids 10 year old kids and and tell my you know my life story so to speak they were like yeah yeah why don't we do that so the thing that makes that distinguishes that book is we wanted to print full color art in there and a goosebumps book as you know the paper in there is pretty you know it's it's bottom line so in order to keep the price the same, we could only put in half as many pages so that we could print, you know, photographs and art and everything else. So, yes, I have the dubious distinction of being the absolutely shortest Goosebumps book uh, ever written. I wrote it in long form, long hand, and then they gave it to an author named Tracy, Tracy West, and she turned it into something you know, acceptable, but they did such a limited run on that, that that book is crazy, crazy rare now. And if you look on yeah, Amazon, I'd never heard of it. 
Yeah, look on Amazon. The price is outrageous. It's it, and it fluctuates wildly. You know, it it, it can be up there for like four hundred dollars, and it's a it's a cheap paperback. You know, it, I bought it for twenty five cents when it was uh, you know on the backside of uh, its popularity. So yeah, don't spend, do not spend three digit anything for for that book. I managed to grab a copy a few years ago and I think it was easier finding a first. So I collect a lot of, um, a lot of older sort of first edition books, mainly Stephen King. Yep. Um, and it was actually easier for me to find the shining than it was to find your book. <laughs> first edition. <laughs> right. You buy for $400. Yeah, just, yeah. I well, yeah. And what was funny about it is when it came out, you know, it, I didn't think of saving any, you know, like I just, Gave them all out to friends and family and, you know, and then, like I said, you could find it, you know, I, you could get it on Amazon and the price kept coming down. And, and there was a time there for a while where, you know, the shipping was more expensive than the book itself. Slowly but surely, you know, it starts to become rare and uh, I'm glad you got a copy. I have one copy, but it's a uh, it's used and it's from like an old school library and it has the little card catalog thing in there where they used to put the punch card in there yeah you have a like i know you had little to do with the art of goosebumps book that came out a couple years ago yeah but like that's obviously has to have been something that was pretty exciting to see all of your work represented in one oh absolutely yeah so it started years ago that they were going to do it and it was on again, off again, on again, off again. And the publisher ended up reaching out to this book designer named Mark McNabb. What they didn't know is Mark McNabb is one of my closer friends. He came, he was there when my son was born. I went to the hospital when his daughter was born. Uh, you know, we'd known each other for over 30 years, but they didn't know we knew each other. He called me up and said, hey, you know, did you know uh, that this publisher is trying to do a book on you? And I was like, yeah, you know, and I'm kind of like blowing it off going, yeah, we've been talking about it for years. I don't think it's happening. You know, it's kind of falling through the cracks. And he goes, well, you know, they want me to do it. And I was like, well, all right, if, if you're into it and you're doing it and I've seen the books that he designs, I was like, all right. I said, we'll head up to the attic because I saved everything. I saved all the files, all the folders. And that's why when you see the book, there's all the original sketches are in there only because Mark took them all, took them home, went through the hundreds of hours to sort through them, to scan them all and get them ready to be put in the book. And when it got done, he was like, all right, I'm going to send the book to you. And I want you to you know, go through it and, and tell me what you want to change. And I was like, no, I was like, that's you, you did everything. You did all the work. I want this to be your interpretation of my work. I, it doesn't need to be me going, oh, change that. That's not right. I don't like it. the hell with it. That just, just do it. Yeah. So it, it, it came out really nice. Uh, but to your point, what's really cool is all of it is in one place now. Yeah. And instead of going, 
yeah, there's literally hundreds of Goosebumps books. Go look for them all and see if you can put them all together. And, you know, now here they all are in one under, a, you know, a nice oversized book. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's um, nice. It's essential for any Goosebumps fans. Absolutely. It's a beautiful little book there. Love that thing. I, I do know Boozy did ask, and I, I got to know, are you, are you a New Jersey Devils fan? Oh, uh, uh, sorry. That's right. I forgot to, to get to that part of the story. We're Canadians. Uh, so I'm 63 and the Devils are the new team. Okay. The Rangers are the real team. Uh, hey, oh, okay. In, okay. In so when the Devils came along, they were the new kids and they sucked when they first yeah, came here. Still and <laughs> you couldn't, it was so hard to get Ranger tickets, but you could get tickets to see the Devils any night you wanted. And the place would be empty and it would be so quiet. You could hear their skates clicking on the ice when they were playing. But I, you know, I, I, I do like them. Um, I, I follow them. You know, of course, I mean, I'm a Ranger fan, but I, you know, I'm not a devil's hater. I, I, I yeah. like them. They're, they're the other home team. Uh, they have since moved uh, out of, you know, out of here and they've, they, you know, they've moved uh, into Newark. So uh, much nicer arena than they were at when they first started. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Important thing is you're a hockey fan. Well, I guess yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So I guess we'll have to say since you're a Rangers fan, is uh, boo to the Pens right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. boy, they 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 were fighting it out early triple overtime earlier. Yeah, that was awesome game. I think we're gonna do one last general question, and then we're just gonna start uh, wrapping things up here. We have a a message from a listener that we promised that we'd share, Um, and this seems like kind of a lazy question, but I am just curious. Do you have a favorite Goosebumps cover that you've done? Like when you think of Goosebumps, is there one that comes to mind that's yours? Because we're gonna tell you ours. Um, so <laughs> whether you it, like it or not, <laughs> no, that's cool. No, I, 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 I'm actually more interested in that because I'm always, I mean, there are certain covers that rise to the top when people start to talk about their favorites, but every once in a while, there's one where I go, wow, you know, like, yeah, I like that one too, but no one, you know, like there's ones that no one ever says, uh, mine changes on a regular basis. So I have uh, you know, like I have a top 10 and depending on what, you know, what, how I feel or what, uh, what's, you know, inspired me at the time, uh, especially when we were putting that uh, Art of Goosebumps together, you know, we were going through files and rescanning stuff. And all of a sudden you got to look at all of them again, where, you know, I, I don't bring them up while I'm working on something new. And uh, so um yeah, though it, it will change from time to time. Um, give us one. I've got to give you one. <laughs> gotta, yeah, not, yeah. Well, while, while six are flowing, they're fighting for attention in my what's, head. Uh, what's the flavor of the week for you? <laughs> flavor one of the more. week would have. I'm going to go with uh, egg monsters from Mars. Ooh, oh, okay. And yeah, the reason it. for it is when it came up, and he said, "Yeah, this is it's a it's an egg, and it's you know." But I was like, is it giant? No, it's not giant. I'm like, uh, but it's just an egg. And I'm going, there's nothing scary about a freaking egg. You know, what am I going to do here? And so I, I like that, that one. And I love the way it came out because it was, you know, we did the, the warped perspective in the kitchen and, you know, it is disgusting as it sits in the egg carton. So 
it was something that took me a while to kind of get my head wrapped around and find the find the scary in that one. Yeah. All right, let's go. I want to hear. All right, who wants to go for it? Should I lead off? Sure. All right. So my like and this, I'm curious to hear what you think of this. Like my favorite one is Deep Trouble. And, oh wow. And that's and my second I, favorite. Wow. Yeah, but for me though, it was like I I had seen the cover for Deep Trouble and had that book before I saw it. my favorite film of all time is Jaws. Yeah, so well, there you go. Kind of it makes sense that that one sure. really had a yeah, big and we, and we kind of played off, you know, totally. we kind of played off yeah. of that as well. But um, the difference was I was a little boy at the time. I wasn't <laughs> this girl in a bikini on the cover of Jaws. So there you go. The, the inclusion of the hammerhead shark was uh, like which is still an underrepresented shark in the yeah, it, in the horror exactly. genre. Yeah, so I had, had, to, had to do my homework on that to get the hammerhead right. And uh, uh, yeah, there's a, I, I'm trying to remember, it was uh, a friend of mine's son and we were trying to, you know, cause I, I can draw okay, but my, I like, my, whenever I put uh, a human figure in my art, I like to use some photo reference because if I just draw it, they're going to come out cartoonish, which is fine. But if you can get a little realism in there, that makes the rest of it all that much more convincing. So, yeah, I remember bringing his his son over and getting him up on a ladder and he's sitting on a ladder. And, you know, and I got down low so I could get that angle of his arms and his legs. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's a good one. That, that yeah, one no, does not come up often. I, I yeah. right now. And we we each did top five, so I'm just gonna fire through because like we yeah we each have five, but Ghost Beach is a very close second. All right, very very cool. close second. Love that one, and I know Cody recently tattooed that on someone, and I was just drooling over it because I would love that piece on me. Wow. Um, love Ghost Beach. The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb is like probably the most iconic for me, and thinking of scholastic book fairs and going into the library or anytime I saw Goosebumps, that like the little glowing red eyes on that mummy are amazing. Werewolf of Fever Swamp was the first werewolf I was exposed to. Uh, and that's a huge, Boozy and I pretty much developed our friendship over a love of werewolves. <laughs> so Werewolf of Fever Swamp probably predates everything. And my last one, obviously, Haunted Mask. Haunted oh, Mask yeah. is legendary. And that was where we met Cody, was he did a Haunted yeah. Mask uh, uh, painting. So Boozy, do you want to tell us your favorite? Yeah, so I like Mitch had mentioned about the tattoo, because I wanted a tattoo of this as well, is Ghost Beach. Uh, huge uh deep trouble as well um mitch you mentioned werewolf fever swamp so i thought i'd just keep it off my list just to have other things to talk about yeah so uh, i really like you can't scare me oh Oh, wow uh werewolf skin and i actually have kind of a question about this last one real quick Night living dummy three yes is did you like that's the one that has the whole family in it yeah. Uh, did did they give you an idea of what the family was going to look like beforehand, or you just had to come up with the? No, they had. There was so as we moved through the series, I got less and less details about what was going on because right. RL was really fighting to stay up with stuff. So no, it was just there's a family. They didn't say how many. They didn't say what they look like. Right. And, uh, uh, there's one that I ended up putting a gap in his teeth because I, I thought it started to look like David Letterman. And uh, yeah, so there's one in there that I was going, yeah, we're going to lean into making him look a little bit more like Letterman. Do you think that any of the covers like that one specific impacted uh, RL writing in the future? He's like, well, shit, now I got like eight fucking dummies here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so 
Uh, what he did tell me was as we did get, so the way it would work is he never saw, uh, he was writing, he, I would get a short synopsis from him. Uh, early on, I would get, you know, maybe a chapter. Then as we moved along, maybe I would get a paragraph. And then after a while, it was like two sentences. This is what the book is about. And they never included him in any of the decision-making process of what was going to be on the cover. So he never saw sketches. And then all he would see is the final product. And, you know, he could be uh, wherever he would be through writing the story. And uh, as we moved, he told me that in the later one, as we moved along, he would do certain parts, but he would leave gaps in the detail and he would wait until he saw the final artwork and then he would see what details I put in the final artwork and then he would incorporate them back into the story. So I know that didn't happen a lot, but I know it happened a couple of times. My number one is easily Haunted Mask. Uh, I don't know. I just, every time I look at it, the longer I look at it, the more I just see in it. Um, just the highlights of the forearms with the airbrush gives yeah. that real glowy effect. Just kills me every time. <laughs> um, you know, I've painted it, studied it. I've painted it wrapped in plastic for like a Oh, I saw before. that piece. That that blew my mind. I saw that Thank before you. we met. And I, 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 I think I commented on it, but uh, no, that was because uh, at first I'm going, I don't get it. I thought it was legitimately the book wrapped in plastic and then i, I finally went, i hate oh, it i don't get it <laughs> yeah no, no i didn't hate it i was just going you know well just open it you know <laughs> take it out come on just open it for christ's sake <laughs> yeah but, uh, no I, I just got i don't know I, I follow an artist that does a lot of stuff wrapped in plastic and i was like i want to do that but with stuff from my childhood that i loved so i've done yeah. like video game stuff but the first thing I had to do was I definitely had to get the plastic painting down pat. So then when I knew how to sort of paint it and render it as a painting, I had to do a goosebump book and That's yeah. Cool. Haunted mask was the first one to come to mind. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I'll quickly run off my top uh, five, but two piano lessons can be murder. Just love the skin tones and the hands scared me as a kid with the hands being severed. Yeah. Um, but I, what I liked about that was they didn't want them to be, you know, like, jagged or torn you know like it's just a clean cut and you can't see you can't see that side of it like you don't see bone you don't see you just see the two hands floating that uh, makes it scarier i think <laughs> I, I i i like that piece that was one of the ones where i'm you know like we went back and forth and i was like well okay i guess this will be scary and then like you know, it wasn't until I got into the painting and did the final rendering where I started to go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is working. That This will be okay. Yeah, no, awesome. Um, then there's like Ghost Beach and then uh, Living Dummy, the first one. But last but not least, uh, The Headless Ghost, because same thing with the girl who cried monster. The use of your backgrounds use very minimal, use less colors, but darker for like the backgrounds. So with your background, you can say up in the last upper staircase, it's just like blues and purples and like, that's it. But when you get close to the foreground, the more detailed in colors, you know, you got right. your oranges and browns. I just really enjoyed how the way you did that, especially the same with what you did with the girly crab monster with all the bookshelves. Oh, thank you. 
Yeah, you know, it uh, was a, a technique that was uh, impressed on me and really hit home where it, uh, a lot of times you tried, as things were farther off in the distance, um, an, an easy one to look at and see this is uh, a Deep Trouble 2, which has got the, the giant mutant goldfish in it. But the things that are farther away are less vivid and they're middle values, you know, and as things get closer, they get lighter and they get darker. So you get lighter lights and darker darks as you move forward. And then on your main image that's in the foreground, you want your your whites and your your real darks are there. And that gets all that depth in the painting and you save all those pure saturated colors for that stuff that's right there in the foreground. And then it, it just gives it that 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 extra depth. And like I said, that was something that was impressed upon me or that was kind of hammered home at art school. And it really like it stuck. And, you know, I, I, I always was trying to make that happen in all of my paintings. Awesome. And another thing too, as well, is I've been a converse guy my whole life because of your work. <laughs> so I've never wanted Way anything else. Well, uh, what's I, again, not, so yeah, those are two of the things that I still am fascinated by. One is that, you know, here's all these years later, goose uh, converse sneakers are still popular. They still look pretty much the same they're you know they're doing some other cool stuff but for the most part it's still the same chuck taylor's and and here we are talking about goosebumps that this should have been over too and it's not over so uh you know we're it, it those two things uh amaze me it just amazes me before we let you go here tim like we just a couple of wrap-up things we have uh a uh, message that it's a little bit of a longer message, so I'm going to read it for you, but it's from our friend Seb, Sebastario, who he's an artist himself. He did the logo for the terror table for us. He also oh, cool. just finished. He yep. just did the poster art for my first short film that's coming out, and he's a huge Goosebumps fan and a big fan of yours. So I told him I'd read this. Um, so this is coming from Seb. He says, I think creative people are naturally very sensible to art from a very young age. You don't realize how much of an imprint everything you see and consume can truly shape, shape your personality and tastes. And I think, deep, I think deep down, any artist just dreams consciously or not to get that one moment when one thing they create can connect with other people and make them feel the way that they felt back when they saw a piece that, of art that they also connected with. That, that it's the book you picked off the shelf, uh, the skateboard you wanted more than anything else, the VHS art, tape art that made you pick the movie up, the album artwork that made you want to buy the CD, the poster in your older cousin's room that you'll never forget, that logo you drew clumsily on everything, etc. You can be 40 and see a piece of art you had a connection with when you were 12 and instantly you're in that time and space again. It's that powerful. You were able to create not one but countless pieces of art that will unquestionably live on and on and on and inspire God knows how many people to pick up those books and inspired artists to find their own voices. I am one of those artists who are lucky enough to get to get to make a living and to get to live some of his dreams through art. And I just want you to know that you are 100% part of the reason that happened. Your art truly shaped a part of my life. So I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being, being a part of my journey. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of countless other artists out there. Thank you, Seb. He needed to get, wow. yeah. Wow. Uh, that, that, uh, 
I, I, but I, I know, I know what he means. As uh, soon as he was saying that, I was sitting on my couch with my Yes album, staring at Roger Dean's artwork and just going, this is amazing. And how much it influenced me and how, when I look at that stuff now, I'm sucked right back. It's a time warp. It takes you back there. Uh, the music and the art. And I, you know, I think of driving around in my car with a cassette player, listening to the music and, and thinking about, you know, all those, all those times. So uh, I think that's part of the goosebumps thing is it brings you guys back to a time that yeah. you remember fondly and uh, you must have had okay childhoods because if you didn't, you wouldn't be, you know, or maybe use goosebumps as an escape, but yeah, um, yeah that's very humbling. I, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted here. That's I just, awesome. And Seb's also a huge New Jersey Devils fan. So I just had to <laughs> you you inspired that as well. You you wanted yeah. to look at where you lived and be. <laughs> yeah, I kind of um, just want to um, mirror those kind of sentiments in our own way because uh, unfortunately I'm a terrible artist, but I feel like the reason I am where I am today and have the weird horror tattoos and the things I like and I I'm sure once again I speak for a ton of other people is yeah like it, I don't know if you ever realize how big I know you're not a huge horror fan but how big of an impact you have had and continue to like my little cousin is 12 I think and he's really into goosebumps right now and it's like those classic covers he always has too he hasn't bought any of the new ones it's like stuff like I hope you realize the kind of impact you made on a community and generations even for the longest time I did you know like I knew I did I, I did my job well when the series was there and uh, you know I, I did as many books that weren't goosebumps that were and they come and go and nobody remembers them and you know i there's pieces that you know when you did okay and maybe they connected and but for the most part you're just connecting with yourself and just going okay i i i you know i'm a craftsman i got it done it's just been what's been going on lately because so it's different when I would do a book signing in the nineties and you guys would show up and you'd be 11 years old and you'd be excited and tell me that you think something's cool. Well, that's great. But I'm a, you know, I'm a 30 year old man at that point and I'm going, that's, you know, that's nice. That's nice. I, you know, it, and it was nice. This is so much cooler. You guys are grown up now and we can talk on the same level. And the fact that you guys still, like it and appreciate it and and it it did mean more than just the cover of the book it's it's mind-boggling so i'm a late comer to realizing that this was bigger yeah you know, and they always told me numbers but numbers don't mean shit it's this kind of stuff where i you know talking to you guys or going to a convention and talking to people face to face uh you know uh it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful. I just want to say too, as well, with all that. Um, Here comes more. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my head keeps getting bigger. I don't know. If it's yeah. gonna keep I don't know if I'm gonna be screen. able to top what Seb said, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, tough to come after that one, eh? <laughs> yeah, that was big. That was an Oscar worthy speech. Um, being a kid growing up in a small country town where. 
art wasn't frowned upon, but it was also very, uh, it's very blue collar job. So uh, art's sort of the thing where teachers sort of teach you, they go, yeah, you know, you can teach art, but you won't make any money from it. Um, seeing your illustrations as a kid made me realize, holy crap, this guy makes a living doing art. And without seeing those books, I honestly wouldn't be the artist I am today. So I just want to say thank you so much, Tim, for, yeah, inspiring that's cool me. Because, and it's funny because that's that was how I grew up too. You know, my dad was a, you know, a pharmaceutical manufacturer. Uh, he worked in a, in a, you know, in a big factory and he was very good at what he did. And when I said I wanted to be an artist, he wasn't thrilled, you know, like that didn't make sense to him. That was just, you know, it was a foreign thing. And my guidance counselor in high school was like, Hey, art. Yeah. Art's what I like. Well, yeah, you could teach. And that's all they would say is you could teach. And uh, luckily along the way, I ran into the right people. And again, I go back, to, I go back to that ignorance thing. I thank God I just didn't know better and just said, oh, I'm going to do this. I think I can do this. And, uh, you know, there's it, it, luck is a big factor. And I was lucky enough to be that guy who got the chance to do it. And thank goodness. I didn't screw it up. Well, yeah. you definitely didn't screw it up. No, because, definitely. Yeah, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for you, I'd definitely, yeah, probably be working a desk job. So, uh, I, you know, I, 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 the two things that I really love when people say it is that the art on the goosebumps turned them on to doing something creative, whether it was writing or being an artist themselves. But the other one, which I never even thought of in a million years, even though I was getting into the book business, was so many people said I, I was a shitty reader and or I was doing poorly in school. Goosebumps came along and that's what taught me to read. And I never thought of that at all as a thing that my art would somehow contribute to the actual reading. And uh, 100%. I'm a living testament of that. Actually, I had trouble it's amazing. reading and, as a kid, and it, 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 I can, I can die a happy man going. Yeah, I, you know, like I taught some kids to read, and I, you know, and people found the spark to be creative. I, so tell us what you have coming up with the future. So uh, there's a couple cool pieces that are getting ready to come out. I did a, an album cover for a band. Uh, I'm not going to tell their name and I'm just going to describe it. You know, eventually when I can show it, I will. Uh, what was cool about it is it's a heavy metal band and they did the, the theme was that all the songs were about different serial killers. And so the, the cover art reflects all the different serial killers in one scene. And it's a, you know, it's a, a, a it's way darker than your usual goosebumps. And there's a lot of, so specific serial killers would leave specific things behind so all those little things are hidden around the room and then there's a woman hanging you know who's hiding under the bed and there's somebody with a uh, you know who's breaking in through the window very cool piece that uh, sounds incredible <laughs> and then i just finished another one for uh, rl stein just wrote a, a graphic novel for uh, the older an uh, the older market. So again, we got a little darker and uh, that piece should be out in the, you know, probably in the fall. So 
Uh, best place to find, I always post that stuff on uh, Instagram. Uh, just search Tim Jacobus. I think it's like Tim Jacobus one or something like that. Uh, yeah. You, uh, or search uh, original Goosebumps Illustrator. Uh, that's my hashtag that pops into everything. Um, that's the best place to find everything. The only other thing that I'll push is uh, my website. It's called Jacobus Studios. And at Jacobus Studios, you can buy uh, prints of the original Goosebumps uh, uh, as posters. I'm sorry, guys. I, it probably won't work great for you. You got to live in the U.S. The prices to ship it international make it not worthy honestly but, uh, we're, we're used to that struggle yeah, so. yeah well we you know then contact me on the side but the nice thing about it is it's uh, you, the the prints in the u.s are free shipping but uh and the the, the prices are either 25 dollars for an 18 by 18 or uh 20 for a nine by nine god damn but ten dollars like... from every sale goes to the purchase of food uh, for the food bank uh, down the street, and I don't give them the money. Me and my kid actually go to the store and buy the food and load it in the truck and take it wow, down the street. That's really, so, that's really great for you. So everyone yeah, definitely you know, go out and I, get some pieces here. Like yeah, I started. Yeah, I, we started it during the pandemic when everybody got scared, and then I did okay. You know, I didn't lose my job, and everything kept going. And then you start to see a lot of other people struggling and it was something that we could do. And, you know, as uh, you guys are, you know, perfect examples of it, you guys are way cool and, you know, plenty of people have been buying them and uh, you know, we've been able to, to, you know, you were not making a, a big difference, but you know, we can all feel good at the end of the month when you see the picture of my pickup truck with boxes full of food in it that, you know, are going down the street. So that's awesome. Very commendable. That is awesome. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think this is the last chance to, to say anything. Cody, you want to get his social insurance number or anything like that? <laughs> if you have that on hand, Tim, we'd love that. Your credit card info, the numbers in the back. All right. I well, actually, uh, okay. I actually just, brought, uh, just framed the original sketch I got from you as well. Um, that's still, that's, yeah, sitting in the, uh, at, work as well with all the other paintings but yeah they're the the i can agree with the postage the um especially in australia it's ridiculous yeah but yeah yeah, you, yeah you, the yeah that 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 pains me so much that yeah. you know that you have to do that you know you're it's way less than the cost of the actual art or print um but uh but thanks thanks for it's absolutely worth it though 100 percent worth it. oh thank you i appreciate that Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And once again, thanks again, Tim Jacobus for joining us. Thank you so much, Tim. That's incredibly fun. Yeah. I'm going to have a hard time. uh, My ego just got blown out of proportion. I'm going to have a hard time for the rest (laughs) of the Ride that. (laughs) All right. We will see you guys all next time on the Terror Table.